Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. On Bulls HQ today, we catch up on what's been going on with the Bulls over the last few days, including the conclusion of their recent West Coast road trip, and here to offer up his thoughts on the Bulls' surprisingly good form over the last few weeks. I'm joined by my friend of the program, Chris Amundsen. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. I know you're a glutton for punishment, so uh, we can get right into it. <laughs> no, look, th- thanks for making yourself available, and it's probably relevant that you on, on, on you are on, rather I should say, because correct me if I'm wrong, you, you're based in LA, right? Yeah, I'm based uh, just south of LA. So they they just completed that four game road trip, kind of in my hometown. You would say exactly. So that, that, that that's why it, 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 there's a nice synergy going on between you and the Bulls at the moment. The Bulls have obviously concluded their west coast trip with uh two consecutive games against the lakers and the clippers last time i was on the uh on the airwaves so to speak uh we were talking with rusty buckets about their win against the uh, the blazers and their narrow loss to to the kings and that good play that we saw late last week on that west coast trip continued and continued pretty damn well against some really good competition against the lakers and the clippers i want to get into the the nitty-gritty and then the details of all this sort of stuff but uh Maybe start high level, Chris. What were your thoughts against uh, all the Bulls against the Lakers and the Clippers? I was pretty impressed. I mean, I mean uh, you know, the Lakers didn't have AD, but I thought um, they really competed well in both games. The Clippers were, you know, they had their full roster. They had Kawhi Leonard and uh, Paul George that were playing really, really well. And that was that was especially a fun game to watch. Levine and Kawhi going back and forth, hitting threes in each other's faces. That was a lot of fun. But I thought overall the, the Bulls, had probably the most successful one and three uh, trip they could have had in, in the way that they played. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same. Like in, in years gone past, or even like you know, n- not that that they had many you know wins last season, so maybe there weren't many games where they had one, a one and three record. Maybe it was zero and four, zero and five, or whatever it may have been. But th- there's not many times when your team plays four games, only wins once, where you actually sort of come away with it feeling pretty damn good. But I guess that's how we feel after this road trip, which has consistently been hard, no matter how good or bad the Bulls are. I mean, anytime you go to the other side of the country and play real competition in the Western Conference, like the Blazers, the Lakers and Clippers are, maybe the Kings less so, but still, you know, on, on any given night, they can be half decent. But anytime you can sort of travel across the, the country, 
in the circumstances we're living through as well, I mean, the guys aren't necessarily going out and living the high life in LA. They're sort of cooped up in hotels, probably bored out of their minds, probably going a little bonkers towards the end of it. But to consistently turn up and play so well and to be in every single game, like, it's just a huge positive and against real competition as well. It's not like they're, they're bum slaying here. They're, they're playing, t- particularly the last couple of games, true title contenders. So to come within points of beating the Lakers and then the Clippers, it's just, I'm just super positive right now, despite the record. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's hard to be disappointed uh, about those losses. I mean, we were in position to make a go ahead shot in both of those games, which Zach Levine took and, and he did miss both. But, you know, I think to even be in that position, is a, is a pretty good moral victory. I, I thought it was interesting though that Billy Donovan really wasn't interested in the moral victory angle. Uh, he was basically saying, "Yeah, you know, we competed, which is great, which is the baseline for an NBA team. But what we really need to do is start executing better." And I thought that was really good because I think last year we weren't even at the competing consistently level. We weren't at that base level, and I think that's what has us in such a much better position as Bulls fans um, and and what has a scene a kind of a brighter future is that these guys are competing every night in every game and they're putting themselves in a position to win even though the wins haven't come yet I think that's a huge step forward from where we've been the last couple of years yeah completely agree and I, I, I'm, I'm happy that Donovan's able to fly that flag so to speak but it's, it's it is weird to me when I see fans or other people maybe floating that message as if you know, it's all about winning as if we haven't just come off of seasons of losing and losing and losing. Like this is the natural step and the natural progression. Like you're not going to go from being a 22 win to all of a sudden just closing out games against title contenders. So I'm comfortable with a moral victory. I'm sure there's some people listening to this. There's definitely some people that I've seen online saying, no, moral victories are bad. This is all bad. They should be winning these games and better execution, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess there is a point to that. But at the same time, like the steps to the process and the fact that the Bulls are even in these games competing against real title contenders, like that in itself is a progression that speaks to development and more importantly it's been the younger guys that have sort of been leading that charge rather than the veterans having said that I mean the the play of Otto Porter, Thad Young, Garrett Temple has been hugely uh, important those guys have have been so good that they're keeping these younger guys in the games but at the same time it's been Zach Levine, Kobe White, Patrick Williams, Wendell Carter even I mean all four of those guys have shown signs on this uh, West Coast road trip so Maybe uh, we can get into the the games of each player. Maybe we'll start with Zach Levine because he was just uh, on fire the entire week. Essentially, I mean, pretty much averaged thirty four six and six, looked amazing. Um, just yeah, yes, he, he he missed those couple shots to end the games, but as a as the lead focus of this team, probably even more so more so than his scoring, his playmaking. I thought took a step, so that was encouraging. But uh, well, tell me what your thoughts about Zach Levine, what you saw from him how he performed and maybe just the general discourse post game around Zach and his inability to close games. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes we focus a little bit too much on what he can't do. Um, Mm. He's been kind of miscast here in Chicago ever since he got here, but we really got to just appreciate the guy. He is a special talent. He's super athletic. He is a really, really good shooter. One of the best shooters in the league. I think Um, I was funny coming into the last couple of games, his, I think his three point, uh, his three point percentage was just below thirty yeah. percent, and we're like, oh, yeah. that's going to come back up. And then he hit those ten threes in the Clippers game, <laughs> and like now he's right back to his league average or his uh, yeah. his career average. Yeah. But I think the things that you're seeing from Levine this year have been really encouraging. 
you can see his on-ball defense has improved. He's had some really nice moments. He had like a, a couple great stops in the last few games that were were more visible. But I think you mentioned his playmaking has improved. Now, the turnovers are still really high. Um, but the turnovers are high across the whole team. So I think that's something that's going to improve with more reps, with more, you know, as they get more familiar with these this uh, offensive system. But I think you, you just have to sit back sometimes and just appreciate the, the the player that Zach Levine is and the kind of show that he brings, even though the wins haven't come. Um, I just think Bulls fans just focus way too much on the negative with him. And, and I really think it doesn't come down to that shot. And I loved Billy Donovan's answer about this it, right after he missed that shot. And I can't remember which, if it was the Lakers or the Clippers game, but he said that Billy Donovan came up to him and said, Hey, listen, that took you one second to shoot that shot. That shot is that one second is not more important than the other 47 minutes and 59 seconds of the game. Like it's throughout the game, we have to be consistent. And so I think Billy Donovan strikes the right balance here of and he's done this with all the players, as you mentioned. He's put the veterans in a in a place to succeed, right? He's putting Thad where his strengths are, right? In that kind of mid-post, his little lefty yep. uh jumpers. He's putting Garrett Temple in good spots. He's putting Otto Porter. A hundred percent of Otto Porter's threes this year have been assisted. Um, wow. 100% okay. of Lowry Markinen's three-pointers this year have been assisted. Like he's putting them in positions to succeed. And then what I really love is what he's doing with the young guys, as you mentioned, with Pat Williams. He's putting them on – he's put them on Giannis. He's put them on LeBron. And he's put them on um, Kawhi Leonard in like the last 10 games. That's amazing. That's a that's a big welcome to the NBA for the rookie. Um, so I think he's really done a, a great job so far of balancing the vets – putting them in positions to succeed, and then asking those young guys to stretch. So, yeah, we can talk maybe about uh, Patrick Williams. What, how, do you, how do you think he did uh, a job on LeBron and Kawhi? I, th- I thought he did pretty good considering all things. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like, Patrick Williams maybe hasn't lit the world on fire from an offensive standpoint. Like, he did have, I think, 17 against the Clippers, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, he... From an offensive standpoint, his game is pretty limited to just jump shooting at this point and maybe some garbage points here and there. But defensively, like to your point, he, he probably got trucked by Giannis, which is to be expected given you know Giannis is several inches bigger than him, you know, probably got 20 pounds on him. And I mean, Giannis is the freak. But even then, you know, going from, from Giannis to LeBron to Kawhi, I mean, these are big time, big time players, like the, the biggest players you can get in the game. And the fact that Patrick Williams competed the way he did against LeBron and even against Kawhi. He was probably better against LeBron than he was against Kawhi. Um, I don't know how much about of that is on Williams versus scheme, the defensive scheme, and the Clippers sort of taking advantage of that. But I mean, from what he's what he's shown from a defensive standpoint, and the fact that you can sort of throw him on some of these bigger wings in the NBA, like that is just so important to have that type of player. And Otto Porter. You know, he's that defensive wing, that 3 and D wing, but he's not someone who can really guard those big trucks of, of wings type things. He's probably better on, on, on some of, I don't know, you may, maybe you put him on a Jalen Brown or, I don't know, a Duncan Robinson or some, someone like that, uh, a, a more slighter wing. Whereas if you've, you've got these guys that are weighing in at like 230, 240 and playing the small forward, power forward position like LeBron and Kawhi are, the fact that we have seen a 19-year-old in his 10th and 11th game come in here and just battle the way he did and consistently turn up and and take to the take to the uh to the job that Donovan was giving him I mean it was super super encouraging so um 
I'm really happy with what Patrick Williams is doing. I mean, he's chipping in his 10 points here and there, shooting the ball up surprisingly well from the three-point line, 50% from the three-point line. But it's really just uh, his defense and the way he's going against some of these players. It's just invaluable right now. Yeah, I think you can really see the potential that um, that uh, Acme sees in in him and why he was picked fourth. And it's really looking like it was not a stretch so far. I mean, that's uh, – No. It's, yep. it's looking like a good pick. I mean, he might be our best – potential two-way player at this point on the roster and the young roster at mm-hmm. least but mm-hmm. yeah the fact that he can you can put him on Kawhi or you can put him on LeBron and he really he doesn't get targeted right I mean both LeBron and Kawhi commented after their games yeah, and and yeah. commented and and went out of their way to tell um to tell the media about how good Patrick Williams was and Patrick said that Kawhi and Paul George came up to him after the game and kind of gave him some words of wisdom told him to keep working so you know, you always say game recognizes game. And I think, you know, with those great players, they spent, you know, 40 minutes being guarded by Patrick Williams and they came out impressed. So that's a that's a good sign, I think, from those, uh, you know, all world players. Yeah. And to add to that, I mean, one of the, you know, I don't want to fuel the uh, the comps between Patrick Williams and Kawhi Leonard, but one of the things yes, that Patrick do. Williams, <laughs> <laughs> not not yet. I'm not going, I'm not diving that far into it just yet. But uh, one of the uh, one of the comments that Patrick Williams said post game, I think the Clippers game was how he modeled his game on Kawhi Leonard and how Kawhi was like his favorite player. So uh, the the minute I saw him say that, I was like, oh, you know, Bulls Nation is going to have a field day with this one. They're just going to continue to make those comps. And I understand why those comps exist. And I can see a Kawhi comp to to maybe pre-level superstar Kawhi. I'm not, not going to just go and say, yeah, this dude is going to win two championships. He's going to be a defensive player of the year. He's just going to be an absolute top five player or anything like that. Obviously, I want that to be the case, but I'm not going to dive off the deep end just yet. But I can sort of see some of that, you know, early seasons Kawhi, let's say. I don't know if he'll ever develop the way Kawhi did offensively because Kawhi developing the way he did from an offensive standpoint is just almost a complete outlier. It's like Jimmy Butler levels, but um, maybe it can happen. It's probably even bigger than Jimmy Butler, to be honest with you. So... Uh, but yeah, it, it was fun seeing him go up against LeBron, going up against Kawhi. I mean, that block that he had on LeBron was huge. And even even if he wasn't blocking the shot, I mean, LeBron still had his 27 points. Kawhi had his 35 points. So they, they still score. You can't stop those guys from scoring. But the fact that Williams was just in their grill consistently and wasn't really doing any dumb rookie things either. Like maybe occasionally he bit on a pump fake or something like that. But that happens to every, every really good defender. I mean, you're going to get fooled by the offensive player at some stage. But he was really making LeBron take those step step back jumpers, and LeBron being LeBron, he was making him. But the fact that Williams was hanging around, it was just it was just super encouraging. Yeah, I know it really was, and you know, I, I wish you'd gone full C red mark there, but uh, <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting that even LeBron said he's got Kawhi sized hands. Yeah, and you're like, man, even LeBron's in on the joke now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really encouraging, as you mentioned. His shooting's been his shooting's been really consistent. He's got kind of a slow release. But the form is really, really good. It's got a high arc, and he's hitting it. You know, he's he's. Uh, I think he's in the forty percentage points right now with the three pointer, and he's he's just doing a great job for a rookie. I'm really, I'm just, I, I'm impressed. Uh, I've got nothing bad to say. He's got me feeling really good about the Bulls' direction going forward, and the talent yeah. evaluation of Karnashovas and Eversley. So, yeah, it's been really nice. For sure, I feel very comfortable about the fact that he was a pick at number four. I'm, I'm glad that they didn't necessarily trade down at this point. Obviously, more more than happy that they didn't trade up. And you know, a, a trade up scenario involves trading 
you know, Patrick Williams and potentially someone like Lowry or, or Wendell. I'm very glad that they didn't do anything of that given, you know, the, the, the top three guys, they, they look good, they look fine, but they look as advertised or as, as to what I expected, whereas Williams has sort of come out of nowhere and uh, he he's just got that feel of someone who's going to be a long-term winning player. Maybe his stats are never huge. Maybe he never averages 20 a game, 25 a game, but he just feels like a player who's just going to, be an advanced metrics darling, someone that's going to impact winnings and, and just someone that's just going to be, you know, huge to have for for, for years to come. So uh, I'm very pleased to what I've seen from Patrick Williams. Equally, I was very pleased to see what I saw from uh, Wendell Carter. And Chris, I won't lie, part of the reason why I wanted to get you on is because uh, you, like me, are a bit of a Wendell Carter stan. So um, yeah, I wanted to talk Wendell because he looks like he's all the way back. He was fantastic against the Lakers. His last five games, he's been averaging 13.2 points per game. Uh, just a shade under eight rebounds, three assists, and um, only 1.6 turnovers. So Wendell is shooting the ball well. He's looking more confident. The defense is there play, being used as a playmaker now, and he's having the confidence to being that offensive hub. And it's really it's really helped, I guess, the offense flow in these last few games. So uh, what have you made of Wendell's performances over the last sort of five to six games, really. Well, I've been impressed, but also kind of relieved because there were some early yeah. season warning signs uh, for Wendell and, and people were jumping off the bandwagon real quickly. And <laughs> and you and I were both on Twitter like, hey, hey let's like let's not forget this kid's 21 years old. Yeah, He's had yeah. two pretty good seasons to start. You know, he it's not like he forgot how to defend one day or forgot, you know, all these things. It's just, you know, he's learning a new system. I, what I really like what he's done Number one, he is third in the league in screen assists for his teammates. Third in the wow. league. Okay. So you can really – which I know that's like a Rudy Gobert stat that, that people <laughs> make fun of. But if you look at the way he's setting his screens this year, they're much, much more effective. Now, I think some of it is most people that are really good at screens are kind of setting the legal screens a lot of the time. And he's been – very fundamentally solid, but he started to do a little bit of cheating. If you if you watch him this year, the way he sets screens, they're more effective because I think they're you know like Joakim Noah used to do this. He kind of stick his butt out on screens, yeah. and it would really just truck people, <laughs> and he'd get away with it most of the time. I think Wendell's getting a little sneakier on the screens, and he's opening up teammates for uh, you know wide open looks. And when you got people like Kobe and Zach and Patrick Williams and Otto and Lowry. Who can take advantage of those open shots? I think uh, you know you're seeing the dividends already pay off. Another thing, and this is a really great video by Coach Nick B-Ball Breakdown on Twitter. He posted something today about how Billy Donovan's using the offense differently, and he mentioned Wendell Carter specifically as the main, like the biggest um, beneficiary of this new offense. And what the what he's doing with Wendell is sticking him kind of in that. Uh, just above the free throw line, kind of that mid post uh, place. He's having him do like a high pick and roll and then he'll roll right to that spot and get a pass. And he's making really, really good decisions. If you watch the first, I don't know, five or six minutes of the first quarter in the Kings game. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's been pointed out by some other uh, people on Twitter, but he was really, really good at finding the open man. Now this is something that when he first started in the preseason and the first couple of games, you could see him missing, like you'd you'd see a look and he'd miss it, or he wouldn't get it, or he'd he'd do it a little bit too late. But you can see the last four or five games, he's really gotten comfortable in that spot and making decisions from the mid post. And I mean, his teammates are are getting open. 
you posted something today the last five games um, that the offense has gone from kind of middling to third in the league. They're third in offensive rating. They're second in effective field goal percentage, and they're first in true shooting percentage the last five games. Now, they're only two and three in that stretch, but I think having Kobe and Zach and the gravity that they have and then having Wendell in that mid-post, and Thad Young is also coming in and doing a very similar role with that mid-post game, that's really opened up the offense for the shooters, and uh, it's it's been really a lot more fun to watch, and I think Wendell is a big part of that. Yeah, look, I completely agree, and it's just so important to have a modern NBA center who can pass the ball. I mean, if you think back to the last playoffs, the, the thing that made Bam so valuable, not not you know beyond his defensive effort, was the fact that he could connect so much of their Miami Heat's offense. And what I mean by that is like you've obviously got your perimeter guys sort of scattered along the three point line, but the best and easiest way to move the ball from one corner to the next is rather than going around the whole the whole three-point arc, if you can hit your big man on the high post who has the ability to, to sort of set a screen, get the pass on the short roll, and then make another pass into the corner to the flank on the, on, on the wing at the three-point line, like that that takes less than one second so to sort of move the ball like that. And you can just create so much offense. And when you've got good shooters like Garrett Temple... Otto Porter, but even the, even Zach Levine was getting some catch and shoot opportunities by simply having Wendell being an active pass, uh, active participant of the offense as a passer. There was I may have been the Kings game or the Clippers games. I don't recall exactly, but Zach got a a corner three catch and shoot opportunity, which very very rarely happens for Levine in Chicago, given how much he has to be on ball for this team. But the fact that you can sort of use Carter in the post like that as a passing option, either in the post or on the short roll and he can find shooters um, or cutters like that. that. That is just so important for any offense, let alone the Bulls offense, but particularly like the, a team like the Bulls who have some good shooting options, but two guards like Levine and White who sort of create off the bounce. To your point as well, having a guy like, like Carter who can set those screens, those screen assists, and when he does get the ball in the short roll, create off of those plays, like it's just huge. So um, very, very pleased to see how Wendell has sort of bounced back through that, you know, rough preseason, a, a, a tough couple of games, but um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad our boy is doing well. So um, I'm pleased to see him playing like this, and hopefully it continues. I think it will, and especially as he gets more comfortable in the offense. And you mentioned having Zach Levine and Kobe White playing off ball as catch and shoot people is a cheat code. I mean, those guys can get so hot so quick, mm-hmm. and I think. If you've got even Pat Patrick Williams has been really good at this, and also Thad Young, making that you know that point five, uh, you know in, in point five seconds making either a pass, like shooting or dribbling, they've been really really good at it. And Wendell's gotten a lot more comfortable. So yeah, I hope we see more of it. And I I also wanted to speak to the you know the Gafford versus Wendell thing. I, <laughs> I really hated how it went because it always seemed like one like you had to tear down one person to build up the other. Yeah, and like. Yeah. I think I, I love Daniel Gafford. I'm a Daniel mm-hmm. Gafford guy. Like he's so much fun. We've had guys like him, like Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson in the past have been those energy guys that just kind of, you know, change the way the team is playing. I love what Daniel Gafford's doing. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from him and, and, and his potential. I just think Wendell had a lot of those tools that weren't being correctly utilized. And you can see Billy Donovan developing him. And that's that's kind of interesting because – People think development is like, oh, you come out of the offseason, the coach is trying a new thing, and you're going to be amazing at it immediately. Yeah. Or like those immediate yeah. results. And that's not the case, you know. But I'm I'm so I'm impressed that 
uh, Wendell's done so well in just, you know, 10 or 11 games. And also, I think Kobe White deserves a lot of credit for the growth that he's had in the early season too. What do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely want to talk more about Kobe. Maybe we can hit that after the break. But uh, just just closing on, on this Carter conversation, I mean, it's so important for someone like Carter as well to be built up. I mean, it's very, very clear watching this guy from our vantage point that he's a guy that gets in his own head. He's a low confidence player. He's someone that is not, you can't teach him by barking at him or benching him like Jim Boylan did occasionally last year. There was that famous line where he got benched, didn't play for an X amount of <laughs> minutes in the game because he needed to sit in and get some uh, introspection time. Gosh, now, like man. that. That's not how you build up or play or develop someone like Carter, who he himself is constantly tearing him, himself down in his own mind. You need to build that player up. So I'm seeing that with Donovan. I've loved the way Donovan has completely handled the whole situation, not just with Carter, but literally everyone else. Like He just understands the interpersonal skills of how to how to sort of coach a specific person because not even every single person is coached the same way, but he knows how to target that message. And it's clear based on the body language that we're seeing from Wendell, that he looks completely different to, uh, against the Lakers and the Clippers. Really good competition to what he did against the, the Atlanta Hawks in the first game of the season. So, And, and look, I, com- I completely agree, agree with what you said about the whole Daniel Gafford thing. Like t- The point that we were tearing down Wendell, not we, but there were, there were people tearing down Wendell in order to boost Daniel Gafford. Like, it's just nonsense. Let Gafford be what he is, which is a backup center, someone in who's... Uh, Potentially could be a really good role player off the bench. We don't have to sort of tear these guys apart and, and sort of. I, I, I've been um, I've been prone to maybe uh, to, to to doing that maybe to a degree. I, I've I've been pointing out Gafford's flaws maybe in defense of Carter, but uh, I I definitely take what you've said to heart and the fact that we we should be uh, trying to to pit these two guys against each other. At least they're not, but the, the fan bases maybe put it against each other. But uh, I want to come back to your Kobe White thoughts. But before we do that, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host your own podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, back to the show now, talking balls. And uh, maybe we can transition to talking Kobe White because... I mean, that Kings game, Chris, he was amazing. Caught, caught an absolute heater. Couldn't miss from inside. I think that was the most encouraging thing, like the fact that he was driving and consistently making plays in the paint and scoring over the Kings. It was amazing. Had a, a had an interesting experience against the Lakers and the Clippers. I think the Clippers is a tough matchup for Kobe just due to the fact that that team can switch everything. They've got so much length on the perimeter and they've got so many good perimeter defenders. So that's a, that was always going to be a tough task for Kobe. But... um. 
He did have the 13 assists against the Clippers, which was un-Kobe-like, let's say. Uh, not not the, the level of passing that we've seen from Kobe before. So whilst he was inefficient against the, the Clippers and Lakers, I think you know, he shot a combined 40% against both those teams. He did have the 13 assists against the Clippers and made some reads and some passes where I was sort of thinking, hmm, that, that, that looks like some growth signs there. So what did you make of Kobe over the last sort of two, three games at least? Yeah, I've... You know, I've been overall pretty impressed with Kobe White. We know we know his strengths, right? We know he's that get hot off, you know, that microwave score. He can get hot, especially from three. But I think where we're seeing the growth this year so far is, number one, the finishing at the rim and inside. He was really, really adamant about breaking down the defense and getting right to the rim in that Kings game. And I thought that was really wonderful because that's been kind of a weakness of his so far is, is and that's you heard Donovan say that as well in one of his uh, post game pressers that he wouldn't call Kobe a pure scorer he would call him a shooter and I think the reason he said that is because Kobe's great from three he's a great shooter mm-hmm. but a score he he doesn't have that multi level scoring yet it's something that he's no. working on yeah um, and then I think you know as you mentioned with um, with these players it's we we focus so much on the fact that he's you know quote unquote not a point guard, and I know it's become even a meme within our Discord channel that <laughs> you're like he's not a point guard, but that's fine, you know. Like hey, we were third in offense the last five games. If we can have two non point guards in Zach Levine and Kobe White, and have that efficient of an offense, you know, like there are worse things to happen. But ultimately, I think you know with Kobe White. Being able to affect the game when his shot is not on with assists, with his defense, you know, with rebounding. He has a really good rebounding game during this trip yeah. as well. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. are the things, if he can be consistent at that, that's what makes a great player. It's not just, you know, not just getting hot because you have these players, you know, like I think of Cameron Payne hit seven threes in a game, uh, like I think it was a year or two ago. If people can get hot. They're NBA players, right? They're, they're some of the best players in the world. But you got to figure out how to affect the game in positive ways when your shot's not falling. So I think he's done a pretty good job of, of showcasing his ability to make assists. He's, he had a, he had a ten point or a ten assist game and a thirteen assist game. The most recent one against the Clippers that was impressive, even though that shot wasn't falling. And the offense was humming when he was out there. So I was really impressed. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the rebounding because it was clear in the Clippers game, I believe it was the Clippers game, where his offense was, wasn't was necessarily getting going. He did catch on to a little bit of a heater and then sort of got cold again against the Lakers. But uh, in the Clippers game, he had, I think it was five rebounds, five assists in the first quarter and uh, only the three points. And, you know, that's 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 fine. I mean, I, I, if he's not scoring, like to your point, if, the, the, if you can find a, a, another way to impact the game, then you you can still be a productive player, a valuable player, and he's been getting on the glass really, really well. And which is I I wasn't expecting that to to, to be fair. I mean, he's not the biggest of guys. He, he may be six foot four or whatever it is, but he, he looks tiny out there from a frame point of view. But he had eight, eight rebounds against the Clippers a few a few games ago against the Blazers. He had ten rebounds, and he's consistently had games where he's pulled down five, six, or seven rebounds. So. He's finding ways to hit the glass, and it's it's actually good for the Bulls that Kobe gets the rebound because then straight away he can sort of create that transition transition play where, you know, in catch and shoot situations and in transition, that's where he just feels naturally, instinctively the player that he should be. So if he can get on the glass and sort of lead breaks like that, then that's an interesting aspect that the Bulls can add to their game. But yeah, he he like Levine, 
that they're making plays, particularly in pick and roll, where they're showing stuff beyond just dumping off the ball to the roll man, which is plays that they've been able to do. And to be fair, like that's very basic level NBA guard play. Like you should be able to find the roll man on a pass. But what they've been doing specifically in the last four to five, maybe six games is they're finding the pass beyond that. They're not necessarily just hitting the, sh- the guy on the short roll. They're finding the guy on the opposite opposite side of the of, of the court in the corner, for example. If Garrett Temple's there or Otto Porter's there, they're spotting up in the corner. What Zach was doing previously, what Kobe was doing previously was just sort of hitting the roll man or just going straight line drive to the rim. But now they're finding these shooters creatively all over the court. And it just... It just flashes that there maybe there is more playmaking in these guys than what I expected, which we need to see more. I don't want to get I, I, I'm I'm cognizant not to go completely off the deep end because I don't want to have a, a February 2019 repeat of you know when we all bought into that small sample size. Maybe that's happening again here, but it just feels like these flashes are sustainable and we're seeing some growth here from from Levine and, and even White as playmakers. Yeah, I agree, and you notice that. You've got Thad and you've got Wendell taking some of that playmaking responsibility to, to make mm-hmm. the easy pass, and they're getting better at it. I mean, Thad's already pretty good. He's uh, Garrett Temple's been pretty good at it too. Kobe and Zach have been making strides. I think it was that Lake, uh, the Clippers game. Zach had a beautiful, beautiful pass all the way down the court. Um, I think it was yeah. to a streaking Patrick Williams, if, if I yeah. remember right. And if it had been LaMelo Ball who had made that pass, it would have been all over Sports <laughs> Center. Um, but it was a nice pass from Zach Levine. And I think it was, you know, those kind of things start with, uh, with the rebounding. And one of the things that you mentioned actually, that I was kind of impressed with, uh, w- when you brought up those stats, let me see if I can pull them up here, um, was how good our offensive rebounding was the last five games. I think we we're fifth in the league in the offensive rebounding percent. So there were three things that Donovan mentioned that the bulls really needed to improve on. One was rebounding. One was the turnovers, and then the other one was um, defending without fouling. Now, the turnovers have been a real sore spot, I think, still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that speaks to that playmaking ability of the guards. Zach Levine and Kobe have both been pretty bad at it. Uh, Wendell's been also been had games where he's been um, you know turning it over, especially early on. He had some silly turnovers. Um, sometimes it's like you know these guys are just seeing the right read, but just not executing it perfectly. There was a few of those in the Clippers game, but those are the things that need to come down, those turnovers. And then we've given up a bunch of four-point plays <laughs> recently, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, Thad had one against um, Batum, Batum this last yeah. game. That was killer. That was killer. But I think, you know, it's a work in progress. It's uh, it's something that's coming along. And Kobe White doesn't have to be a primary playmaker point guard today. He doesn't have to be. Um, I think by the end of the season, even if the roster changes and he ends up going back to a shooting guard spot long term, I think this season of development for him in playmaking is going to only improve the roster and improve the capabilities of his own game going down the road. So I, I don't see any downsides to it at this point. Plus, you know, if we lose enough, we, we might be in the in the lottery again and be able to add more talent to what we already have. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I mentioned this on the last podcast, but so much of this is semantics and definition based and everyone having their own definition as to what a point guard is, what their role of a point guard is. And, you know, when I say Kobe isn't a point guard, I'm meaning Kobe isn't a lead creator, someone who you want to be the primary option on your, you know, your, on, of a good offense, let's say, which is sort of the same 
the same drawback that, that Levine has to a degree as well. Like in that sense, they have a lot of crossover. But that doesn't mean he can't be a point guard per se. I mean, if you put him next to Nikola Jokic or if you put him in LA with Kawhi or LeBron, I mean, he can be a point guard there, but he has that lead creator in front of him who can create the offense where he can sort of focus on being that secondary or tertiary creator and then being that scorer that he naturally is. To me, that's still who Kobe is, but the fact that he's showing some growth here in in those extra you know, from a playmaking point of view, at least, and even on the glass. I mean, Kobe's been averaging seven assists and six rebounds over the last five games. Like we, like we sort of alluded to, he's doing things that um beyond the, the beyond the scoring points essentially. So it's good to see this growth stuff from Kobe, even if if he's having those inefficient nights. Um, whilst I can be critical about him at times, and yes, he definitely needs to clean up his his ball handling. He doesn't have a really a tight dribble at this point. He needs to clean that up. Same with Zach. I mean. They're still turning over the ball a lot, but again, that's to be expected given that this team doesn't really have a a, uh, a primary initiator who is just a natural point guard, let's say, a natural uh, a natural creator. So I think they've done a pretty good job and it, the offense speaks to that. I mean, part of it is, is unsustainable. Part of it is Zach and Kobe shooting the absolute lights out. I mean, Zach over the last five games is 50, 40, 90 essentially. So that's not going to continue. I would imagine the, the Bulls offense will come down a little bit uh, but we'll see how that shakes out. And I think what's going to get interesting now, Chris, is like how Donovan manages what's been going on on the, over the last, last five to six games with the guys that are coming back from, well, I was going to say injury. Maybe that's true for Larry, but the, the guys that are coming out of the COVID protocol, how he sort of manages the what he's sort of been building with the, this this group of eight or nine guys that have been consistently playing and how he's going to sort of start plugging Larry Markman back into it, Sadoransky, Chandler Hutchinson, whoever it may be. So how do you think Donovan's going to manage that? Uh, I mean, we've seen Thad Young closing games at this point at center, which is going to be very interesting. They've been playing small at the end of games with Thad at center, Patrick Williams at power forward, no Carter on the court. But then once you add Larry to it, like how does that change the mix? Like I said, we've got Sadoransky coming back. Otto Porter, unfortunately, is hurt. So maybe that factors in and frees up some time on the wing. But how do you think this whole uh, phase that we've sort of seen over the last five to six games, which has been just really tremendous play from the Bulls, is going to be transferred over into the guys that are essentially coming back and restarting this season who have had essentially two weeks off? Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Billy does because he really hasn't had a full roster to toy with so far. He's always kind of had mm. one or two people out and he's trying different yeah. things. I think Sadoransky is going to be huge for the playmaking. I think our assist to turnover ratio is going to get better, I think, with Sadoransky. And you can see in the few games he has played this season and in the preseason, the the ease of the offense was was noticeable when he was on the court. The reads he was making, the passes. He's just a smart guy. And you see it with Garrett Temple and Thad Young a lot. They're just – they're vets, right? And I know we see like, – I was one of the people that was not like super thrilled about Garrett Temple being the only offseason signing. Nothing against <laughs> Garrett Temple, but it was like we thought they were going to bring in a primary creator. They yeah. kept saying it and then it didn't happen and we're like, wait – Garrett Temple's it. And listen, Garrett <laughs> Temple has played fantastically. He's super yeah. smart. Thad Young has really uh, re- been revitalized this year. I think he just really did not like Boylan because <laughs> yeah. Boylan just had him standing outside in the three-point line and just shooting threes, which he did fine at, but that's not his game. You can see you know, how Donovan's used these vets uh, in, in, those, in those creative ways to, to help 
generate better offensive shots. So I think Saturance is going to have that similar role. Um, I think you're probably going to see a little bit less of Denzel Valentine. And I do got to give a shout out to Denzel because he's actually played pretty well. He's probably the team's most gifted passer at this point, to be honest. Um, he he does try and do the home run stuff a little bit too much sometimes. If he could cut that out of his game yeah. to maybe just once a game instead of like three or four times a game, I think he'd be a really, really valuable, you know, ninth, tenth man. But yeah. I think he and Gafford are probably the ones that are going to get um, shortened out of this rotation, if anybody. Now, listen, mm-hmm. like COVID has been ravaging the entire NBA, especially this this week. So who knows if we're actually going to have a 15-man roster and we're going to have this problem yeah. at any yeah. point. But assuming they come back and Otto is not injured, um, I think Saturance is going to take those primary backup minutes uh, at the point guard spot. And I think it's sorely needed. Our defense sorely needs him uh, <laughs> at the point of attack, defending the point of attack. And I think Thad, you know, Otto, and Temple, you're going to see a lot of as well. So I think that, that four-man um, backup you're going to see. The interesting thing I think is Lowry Markinen coming back because, as you mentioned, Wendell Carter in the last few games, the last three or four minutes of the game, has been taken out and Thad has been put in. Now, some of mm-hmm. that is matchup-based, but I think yep. that's something that's more temporary. I think for for Wendell and Lowry, you're really going to need to see them in those crunch time minutes at some point this season. And I think Wendell and Lowry have both earned it at this point. I mean, Lowry was playing really, really well before he went out um, for the COVID protocols. And that I think he had that hamstring or, or whatever. It was like some slight injury. Yeah, that the he cough, had. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how Lowry's integrated back in and, and what kind of clutch minutes they're playing. But I think, I know I've heard on Twitter, people always love to do this, but they're always like, oh, look at how well they play without Lowry. Is he the problem? Can they just trade him right now? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like He's been playing pretty well. I think, you know, his contract situation is such that, you know, there there may be a conversation to be had about whether or not there's trade value there or whether that's something they should do. But as far as his rotation minutes, I mean, I think Donovan's stretching him as well this year. He, instead of Lowry just standing in the corners and shooting, which we've got a lot of data that shows that Lowry standing at the three-point line and shooting results in league average shooting from three, right? Mm -hmm. Which is fine if you're seven feet tall. But ultimately, I think his game offensively has to expand to be not being a shooter, but being a scorer, right? Just like Kobe White expanding the abilities that he has on offense. So I think one thing he's been very bad at before that Donovan's had him working on this year before he went out was taking advantage of smaller matchups, getting people in the post, attacking those uh, you know, attacking smaller players. He's not been super good at it yet, but he is attacking them. So I think that's really encouraging. And also having him run off screens, getting downhill, I think that's going to be really important. He and Wendell have had a couple of really nice plays early on in the season where they've kind of did this little two-man pick-and-roll game in the mid-post. I think that's something that can also work as well. So I think as long as Donovan keeps Lowry on the move on offense and engaged, I think we're going to continue to see that growth and development from him. The the defensive end, you know, like most players on this team, uh, hasn't been that encouraging. And, you know, like Patrick Williams has been pretty decent. Wendell Carter, we know, can defend. Thad can defend. Um, but ultimately, there's there's a whole there's a whole lot of work to be done on that end. But I think I think Lowry coming back is going to ultimately be a positive thing. It's going to add another option. It's going to take more 
pressure off Levine and Kobe to score. Yeah, look, I, I don't want to go full Joe Kelly here and say <laughs> the team is playing well, but at the same time, we need, we need to trade someone because the team's just you know headed to mediocrity and just be a complete douchebag like that. But whilst uh, I don't want to go that deep, I, I have been a little sly in, my, in, in the sense of I haven't gone completely... I haven't gone with the take that the Bulls are playing this well because Lowry is out. I think that's maybe coincidental. Maybe it's too more, too short of a sample size to make those distinct, bold uh, proclamations at this point. But at the same time, I, I, I maybe this is just me, just philosophically and my natural tendency to like smaller basketball. The fact that they have looked so much quicker, more versatile, playing two wings at all times, it feels like, sometimes even playing three guards in one wing. I mean, they're closing games at this point with Thad, which we mentioned at center, Patrick Williams at power forward. And then the three-guard lineup, which Billy Donovan used a lot in uh, OKC. This time he's using Garrett Temple in that role with Kobe White and Zach Levine. Like That has been the closing lineup for Donovan over the last five to six games. So to your point, definitely like he's he hasn't been dealt a full roster throughout this season yet it doesn't feel like maybe beyond the first couple games but even then you know that probably hasn't been fully complete or healthy but it just feels like we're settling into a rhythm of sorts now maybe that's going to be tested anyway because Otto Porter's picked up in an injury which is unfortunate given that Otto was playing so well but yeah I don't know it just feels like that someone's going to be squeezed in that front court now whether it's Carter whether it's Markin or whether it's Thad Young it's definitely going to be Daniel Gafford I mean he's going to be catching DMPs but I'm assuming Larry and and, and uh, Carter will start the game. Wendell will be uh, coming. Will go to the bench, and then at that point, Larry will have those backup center minutes. That will probably split some minutes more at power forward. But then, what happens at the close of the game? Like that's that's the real interesting element. I always love these rotational questions and and these thoughts and and, and how it all sort of um, how it all plays out. But it's going to be interesting because, to your point, and you just sort of just alluded to it there, like. We've talked about how good the team has looked on offense, but we haven't really talked about the defense at all. Um, the drop coverage conversation continues to be nauseating. Too many people don't understand the defense to be commenting on it. But at the same time, whilst the offense has sort of boomed and the, the Bulls have gone from an average to bad offense to one of the best offenses over the last five games, the defense has been bottom five. It remains bottom five. How that changes, how it doesn't change, I, I don't know. But I'm really interested to see how he sort of massages these rotations. But to your point again, like maybe we're just entering a situation where we just never have a team that has a full roster, a full, a full gamut of options for Billy Donovan to to play with, just due, simply due to COVID. I mean, maybe we can transition to this. But the Bulls were meant to be playing the Boston Celtics tonight. Uh, we were meant to to to, to podcast post game with the Celtics, but there's no, there's not going to be a, a Celtics game, so we we brought forward the conversation. So, in that sense, I mean, maybe you just won't ever have a full rotation. Maybe you will never have that, and you just need to be flexible. So maybe it's not even worth having these conversations. I, I don't know. My head's all over the place with it all. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we've kind of lamented the last couple of years, and and the front office, the previous front office, did as well that they couldn't really get a full evaluation of their players because of all the injuries that have been suffered. Right, like Wendell Carter basically missed half of the season in each of his first two seasons and Lowry, you know, had that nagging quad issue. And there's been a, just a, a, you know, a ton of different issues. Otto Porter basically hasn't played for us other than like the 15 games when we first got here. So, and now everyone seems to be healthy and now we've got COVID. And so, you know, teams are throwing out these skeleton crews, uh, just trying to, you know, throw eight players on the floor. 
So, you know, the, and the league's having meetings about it. Apparently, had a meeting today and maybe, you know, looking at extending rosters, um, tightening up security, you know, security measures for these protocols. I don't know what the answer is. It seems pretty clear that the league is not going to shut down the season, but I mm-hmm. think it's going to introduce a lot of a lot of variables into our evaluation process of these players. I think it's, you know, you're, we really don't know how good this team can be if if they're going to, you know, suffer these kind of things. That's the most interesting part about it, though, is the last five games, we, we haven't had, you know, three, maybe three and a half, if you count Ryan Archidiacono. I'm just trying to throw you a bone here. But um, <laughs> we haven't had those rotation players, and we've competed pretty well. So I'm impressed that it's kind of that Tibbs next man up mentality so far. So maybe... You know, if if that continues and we continue to have most of our players, but maybe one or two out for these protocols, I think we'll get a good evaluation. But if it starts ending up like, you know, if, if we've got nine people on the on the injury report due to protocols or whatnot, then it's going to be difficult, I think, to to kind of to kind of see the full evaluation process. And I think Lowry Markkinen is going to be the big swing here because this is a season, especially for him, that's going to be super valuable to showcase mm-hmm. his skills on the Bulls and possibly to other teams, right? Because he's going to be a restricted free agent and someone's going to throw money at him if he has a good season. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be the Bulls or not, but yeah, so it's, it kind of throws, I don't know, more intrigue, right? The, the seasons are always fun, but this COVID thing has really kind of thrown the whole thing for a loop this year. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 obviously like, it's obviously not the Bulls just, they're not the lone ones facing this issue. It's 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 beyond them at this point. But uh, it is a good point. I mean, in terms of the fact that this whole rotational conversation that any any time we want to have this conversation, we just have to have COVID in the back of our minds. But you know, assuming the team can have a full roster, it, I think one at, at at one point someone is going to get squeezed in that front court, potentially a couple guys. And I've been positing it on Twitter online. I'm just thinking that maybe it's going to be both Wendell and Larry sitting at the end of the games, which could get really interesting if he continues this trend of closing games with Williams at power forward and Thad Young at center. Look, I don't want to come off as a... I don't want to offer too many critiques of Billy Donovan because in, in, in the large part, what he's been doing holistically has been fantastic. But I personally wouldn't be closing games with Thad Young and Patrick Williams. I just don't think there's enough rebounding. Yes, you're more versatile on defense, but um, I think you need a big out there and I'll, I would be I would still be closing games with Wendell Carter but at the same time like I, I like Patrick Williams at power forward which which means in that situation like Thad or Larry sits so I don't know it's, it just feels like someone's going to get squeezed I thought we might see that initially against the the, the Celtics but as we sort of mentioned there there's, there's no game against the Celtics that game's been postponed the next Bulls game I believe is on Friday night they will play the OKC Thunder they'll be traveling to OKC and then they've got a game on Sunday against the Mavs and then the Rockets on Monday so a tough little mini schedule there assuming it goes ahead I mean the Mavs I believe had to postpone a game as well because of COVID so I, I would say Chris you know the, the next game to look forward is the look forward to is the OKC Thunder game, but who the hell even knows if it happens at this point? This is just the uh, the world we're living in. I know, it's crazy. And you know what? They've been pretty good so far this season. I think they're five and four. They have been. They've been feisty and competitive. So, and the Mavs are getting their groove back, or at least they were pre-COVID. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how it all unfolds. Nonetheless, hopefully the Bulls continue to, to play this way. 
hopefully the offense is sustainable. Like there's elements of it that's not. I mean, I'm not expecting the Bulls to be a top one or two or three offense, but if there's elements of it, the flow of the offense, the way everyone's getting involved, if that can sustain itself, even if they fall to 10th or 12th or 15th or offense or whatever, whatever it might be, but at the same time, make some small gradual improvements on defense and um, with the the live ball turnovers, like that is the two main issues, turnovers and defense. If they can just bring that up a touch from, you know, like 27th in the league to 22nd or 21st, then we're looking at a really competitive team. I mean, their net rating over their last five games has been 0.6, which is right right bang in the middle, essentially. Like that's that's a decent team, a 16th overall in, during the last six games or five games rather, whereas previously the first six games, they're minus 9.9. So if, if, they, if they can just sustain some of this offense while building on on the defense and, and sort of corralling or fi- fixing those turnover issues, then uh, the Bulls are going to be, be very competitive, maybe more competitive than I thought at least. But um, nonetheless, these last five or so games, particularly the last couple of games against the Clippers and Lakers have been super fun. As was this conversation, Chris, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, mate, and talking Bulls, talking Clippers, or talking the games against the Clippers and the Lakers, what's to go forward. So um, maybe before you can get away, uh, I know you have a mission. Well, I have a mission to build up your Twitter page, let's say, <laughs> but um, maybe you can twel- uh, tell people where they can follow you online. Yeah, it started out as a troll attempt by you, but it's been successful, unfortunately. <laughs> so I have to watch what I say now. But if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at KLA Hoops. And uh, yeah, I, I try and just do a little bit of analysis. I'm pretty busy, a full-time job, two kids. Uh, <laughs> but I, I try and stay up to, up to date as much as possible. I'm also hoping to you know, do, uh, do a podcast of my own at some point this year. I'm, I'm, it's in the works. So I'm trying to expand my MBA knowledge a little bit. And it's been a great time. Once again, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's just that as John Hollinger said on Twitter the other day, the Bulls are dangerously close to being a fun team to watch. And and that's the most exciting thing we can look forward to this year. It's just having some fun watching these kids grow and, and uh, you know, making some shots, hitting some blocks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, the bar is low, but um, <laughs> if they can just go from looking like a completely dreadful organization where we had, you know, douchebags like Garpax running the show and an idiot like Boylan on the sidelines, if we can just go from that just to a competent basketball team where you have Acme running the show, Billy Donovan just saying the right and sensible things and the players responding to that and just taking the step to looking like a good NBA team. Like, that is the first step. And it, that is happening. I'll, I'll listen up. Again, I'm, it's happening right now on a very small sample. I'm not <laughs> going to dive too deeply off the deep end, but um, if it continues over the next five to 10 games, I will be very pleased. But uh, again, Chris, thank you for coming on, mate. We'll definitely do it again in the future. Bulls fans, whilst you're online following Chris on Twitter, hit me up on Twitter too, at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter as well, at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send me an email, if you want to have a question for the show, an idea for the show, if you just want to throw a question at me, or even if you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, if you want to link to that, send me an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. But that just about does it for this episode of the show. Thank you for joining Chris and I. It's been a fun few games of Bulls basketball. Hopefully it continues uh, we, 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 hopefully the Bulls actually play a game uh, over the next couple of days and, and hopefully everyone's safe and well from this whole COVID experience but um, fingers crossed this experience keeps going the way it has over the last few games because as sort of Chris alluded to there the Bulls have been really fun and uh, we just want to see good basketball so 
be on the lookout for the next episode of Bulls HQ. We'll probably be back later on next week or this week, depending on when we do actually have Bulls basketball. But be on the lookout for that wherever you get your podcasts. But that's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in, Bulls fans. Speak very soon. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.